0: We've been living in difficult times and there's a very slow echo. <laughs> uh, and I think uh, the danger is and what I've observed during during the pandemic is that we've all shrunk. We've all closed our doors, we've all shut the shutters and we've all gone back into ourselves. Uh, and I want to talk this morning and encourage us to think about how we can burst out of our bubbles. We all live in a bubble whether we have a community, a family, a home, a place we live, a community we work with, maybe a workplace, group of friends, and that's our bubble. And I think that God wants us as Christians to expand our bubbles, to keep seeking to do more. I had a very well-meaning Christian friend, he said, Richard, are you going to get the jab? And I said, yes, of course. He said, oh, you know, it's dangerous, you know. I said, yes, it's very dangerous. (laughs) And he said, why are you getting it? I said, so I can travel and do my job and do what God's called me to. He said, oh, well, you know that once you've had it, you'll only have five years to live. I said, well, that's fine. So I'll just make the next five years count. Oh, no, no. He said, it won't be five years that you'll be well. He said, you'll start to get sick after two and a half years. And then you'll only have two and a half years more years. Oh, well, that's fine. As far as I'm concerned, I'll make the next two and a half years count then. We need to burst out of our bubbles. We need to think uh, bigger. We need to think about what God wants to do in us, first of all, and then through us. I often think about what I call our circle of concern and our circle of influence. Our circle of concern and our circle of influence. We all have quite a big circle of concern. Oh, they've changed the prime minister again in the UK. Oh, the war in the Ukraine. Oh, you know, the flooding here and... This happening there and that's happening in that part of the world. That's our circle of concern. We're concerned about our world. But but all of us have also a circle of influence. Our circle of influence is the people that God has placed in our lives who we meet with on a reasonably regular basis that we have interaction with. And that's our circle of influence. We can't influence what Putin's going to do in the Ukraine. At least I can't. Maybe you can, but I can't. But we can influence the people that we buy our groceries from. We can influence the people that are our next door neighbours. We can influence those in our families and in our communities, our workplaces. And I think that God wants us to be effective in the uh, area where we uh, have influence. My circle of influence is perhaps a little wider than some uh, because of the work that I do. And, and that's such a privilege, to have a wide circle of influence where people might know of the work of Entrust and, and know of the things that we do. It doesn't mean that I'm special or important. It just means that I have more responsibility. And, you know, in my recent trip to the Congo, I was on an island called Ijwi. Now, the Congo is a forgotten country in Africa. It's one of the most challenging places on the planet. It's a do not travel zone from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, uh, but we went anyway because there was a need there. And we went to this island, the only way you could get there was by canoe. And we're on this big island and we couldn't drive around the island because you'd had to spend two hours on the back of a motorbike and my back, like yours, may not have survived the rough roads and having someone, if I'm on a motorbike, I want to be the one holding a handlebars. <laughs> So we used this 30-foot-long wooden canoe, and we drove up the, we motored up the side of this island to get to a village, uh, several villages actually, where the Entrust Foundation had funded this, the uh, supply of clean water to 18,000 people. They were previously taking it out of the lake, and the lake's full of minerals and it's full of E. coli, and people were getting sick and getting cholera and typhoid from the water in the lake. So we found a spring up, our partners found a spring up the mountain, put a tank up there, piped it down to 11 different water sources. Yes, people still had to queue up with the yellow jerry can to get their water, but it was clean and it wasn't going to kill them. And so my circle of influence was able to go there and to meet these people and the whole thing was done for 75000 Australian dollars. Now my mass isn't great, but that's about $4 a head to give people life-giving water ongoing for the next 10, 20, who knows how many years. What a privilege to be able to engage with a community like that and to demonstrate the love of God by providing them with some clean water. We had a little village meeting and one lady spoke to me afterwards and she said, oh, thank you so much for coming to my island. She said, I walked 20 kilometres to come and see you today. And she said, "Now that the meeting's finished, I'm going to walk 20 kilometres home again." I thought, "Wow, what a what a blessing!" About a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, I was in the southern part of the Philippines in a place called Bacolod, and I was visiting a village there. We are partnering with an organisation in the in the Philippines, and they have a heart to help the poor and the oppressed in that needy country. And and Getlind told me her story. We sat on the step of her little bamboo hut in Bacala, just out of Bacala in the Philippines. And she looked to me to be in her mid-twenties. A, a, just a gentle, beautiful young lady. You could tell she was troubled and she had pressures on her. And through the translation I learned that, that Gedolin was a mother of six children. She was pregnant with number seven. Her husband had come home. He'd been abusing her and drunk and beaten her. And she'd thrown him out, he'd come home and she'd forgiven him. She got pregnant with number seven and then he'd keep beating her so she she pushed him out. And so here she is living in this little bamboo hut. I took a picture of her kitchen. It was an open fire on the ground over here and a, a little bench where she prepared food for her family. I said, how do you uh, look after yourself, Gedel?" And she said, when my husband remembers, he sends me about four Australian dollars a week to feed my children 200 pesos uh, and to feed my children. Sometimes he drinks it all and forgets to send it. And so the partners that we are working with there have taken her under their wing. They're providing her, she's malnourished, the children are malnourished, nutritional food packs, books for school, kids can go to school and, and some support and I actually taught taught a group of people in that village how to make banana bread in a steam oven. Now, I'd never made banana bread in a steam oven in my life. The day before, the local partners taught me how to do it so I could teach all these village people how to do it. I felt like a bit of a fake, I must admit. <laughs> but we were offering a little micro-empowerment project that they could take a, a packet of pre-prepared packet of food, go away, make this banana, little banana cupcakes, and then sell them in their community... And they have enough money to pay back the loan and to have 150 pesos for themselves. And if they did that three or four times a week, they could generate about 600 pesos a week profit from this little micro business. Now if you think about Gedelin, she's, she's just surviving on 200 pesos and you offer her a way to earn 600 pesos a week without a lot of work. It's a lifeline to, to a Gedelin. The other person uh, that I uh, am good friends with was a guy called Peter Theonuant and uh, he gives me about a fortnightly call. Peter called me yesterday. He's uh, one of the Christian leaders in the country uh, of Myanmar. He lives in Yangon. He's got his doctorate in theology. He used to be a lecturer or assistant principal in a Bible college there. We partner with him and we fund... Um, outreach initiatives that he he does around the country, peace building initiatives in Sitwe Province, which is where the um, near the Bangladeshi border, where there's the Muslim Buddhist conflict. Pete said to me, Richard, he said we, we uh, got these soccer teams together uh, with the money you sent, and he said we got six Muslims and five Buddhists, and then we got five Muslims and six Buddhists on the other side, and we put them in teams together and they played soccer. He said and they got along really well. And they started to build trust and relationship with each other. And he said no, the UN heard about it and came to have a look because they've spent millions of dollars trying to do peace building and they got making no progress. They wanted to come and find out what we're doing because they wanted to, to learn from us about how to fix the problem and how to address the problem. But Pete spoke to me yesterday for 20 minutes from Yangon. said, Richard, he said, things are getting really bad here. They've been bad for 12 months but they're really bad now. He said, uh, we can't go out past 7 p.m. He said, the soldiers and the police are on the streets. They will test you. They'll check you. They'll che- make you empty your pockets. If you've got any money on you, they'll take it from you. He said, half the time they're all drunk. He said, it's just mayhem here. And he said, uh, we understand that you might be coming to visit us. He said, can we just hold that thought and can we revisit it in February I said, "Do you want me? Oh, happy to come. Happy not to come. It's really up to you." We'd, he said, "Your coming could actually put us in physical danger." So, we live in difficult times, and we work in difficult parts of the world, and we work with outstanding people who love Jesus, and who live in those communities and know how to connect with the local people. If we claim to be Christian, uh, we are follow- and followers of Jesus uh we have to read the Bible and get the instructions that he's given us. That's our, that's our um, SOP, our standard operating procedures. If, you're, if you are if work in a manufacturing business, you know what an SOP is. And I was just doing a little bit of research. You know, there are 209 verses in the Bible that mention the word wisdom. 209 verses. If any of you lack wisdom, ask, and God will give it to you generously. There are 175 verses in the Bible that talk about the poor. There are 111 verses that talk about money and riches. There are 96 verses that mention widows, and we do a lot of work helping support widows. 55 verses in the Bible that talk about the needy, and 48 verses in the Bible that mention the oppressed. Thinking about those statistics, do you think God has a concern for the poor and the needy, and the widows, and the orphans, and the oppressed? I would say yes, he definitely does. Turn with me in James chapter 1 and verse 22, if you've got your Bibles or I can read it to you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. It's really simple. James is so simple that even I can understand it. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues... Deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless, uh, accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. And then Proverbs 31 verse 8, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's what I'm trying to do this morning for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up, judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. As Christians, if we say we follow Jesus, God gives us wisdom, the Bible's full of it, there are so many scriptures that refer to our responsibility to look after those that can't look after themselves. Paul is instructing, actually James is instructing us In in that passage in James to to do some really, really simple things. Five things. Listen. Act. Watch our tongues. Look after the vulnerable. And don't be polluted by the world. That's really simple, isn't it? Listen to what God is saying to us. Act on what God is telling us. Be careful of our tongues because we can do a lot of damage with our tongues. Look after the vulnerable. And don't be polluted by the world and the culture in which we live. And that last one is increasingly difficult in the society that God has placed us. I see a a big divide. It's here and it's going to get wider between those who follow Jesus and follow the teachings of the Scriptures and those who nominally say they're Christian, but oh you know, we can we can compromise on these fifty things. In Africa, when I was there talking to African I talked to the Bishop of Bukavu, and we had a discussion about where the Western Church is going and what's happening with the Western Church and have they lost the plot? They seem to be you know, going very, very liberal in their thinking and their understanding because they want to embrace the culture in which they live without looking at the Scriptures and seeing what the Bible says. And it's going to be increasingly politically incorrect to stand up to be a Christian in this world. That's my view. But I think one of the keys that makes it possible to do all these things is a word that we don't always love. The word is generosity. Generosity is something that will enable us to listen, to act, to watch our tongue, to look after the vulnerable and not be polluted by the world. Women are great givers. Uh, I work uh, in part of my job... With a lot of a uh, number of high-capacity families, high-capacity business people, ultra-high net worth is another description. I was just in Switzerland um, in June with Julie at a conference for a little bank, a private bank that we represent in Australia to move money around the world to Christian organisations cost-effectively. And at that uh, at that uh, conference in Switzerland, I was having breakfast with a guy called David Wills. He started up the National Christian Foundation of America. And I said, David, how's your year been? He said, we had a good year, Richard. He said, the government in America changed the rules on tax-deductible giving. He said, we got in $3.4 billion this year. I said, excuse me? Is that got a B on the end of it or is it an M? Is it million or billion? No, no, it was billion. And I said, that's a good year. (laughs) And in anyone's book. I said, but tell me something. How much did you actually give away? Oh, he said, we had a good year. We managed to distribute $1.8 billion in the last 12 months. So the thing that that taught me was that God is not short of money. God's not short. There's plenty of money. There's money sloshing around everywhere. It's in the pockets of people like me and you. It's wrapped up in real estate. It's wrapped up in a superannuation fund. It's wrapped up in wages or savings accounts. God is not short of money. He's just short of people that want to be generous with it. We've got the assets and the National Christian Foundation of America is an organisation that enables people to give and then move it out through, their, through them. We have the same thing with trust. We've set up a structure where people can give money to us when, when it comes in a lump sum. They, we can sit on it on their behalf and then we can distribute it to wherever they want it to go as long as it meets tax compliance. Women are great givers, and often the women tug on the, the uh, sleeve of their husbands or their partners and say, you know what, we need to help this person. We need to give here. I, I really want to help this one. And the men go, oh, you're yeah, right, so send the money. The, the men might do the transfer, but the women have the heart to help. Proverbs 31 talks about the wife of noble character. I'm sure all of the women I'm looking at, even if you're not wives, I'm sure you represent the noble character that uh, that um, Solomon talks about when he wrote Psalm uh, Proverbs 31. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. God has given us uh, opportunity. God has given us uh, um, the means and God has given us the, the way we can transact to do just that. It might be making a meal for our neighbour and taking it in there. We have a Vietnamese neighbour in the uh, unit in the front of our place um, and we've been uh, sharing uh, with her and got to know her and Julie's done a great job getting to know her. She has an autistic son and one day I heard when we first moved in I heard her her and her son having a fight about cutting the grass. And the son, because he's autistic, was getting angry and starting to shout and yell. I walked down the drive and said, ''Let me cut the grass.'' And so for the last six years, I've cut here's grass lawn, and love doing it and spent a bit of time. We've been away three weeks, got back and thought, oh, here's grass is about this long. As we're backing out in the drive today, Julie said, you better cut here's grass in the next couple of days. So we serve her by mowing her, mowing her lawn. She's a Buddhist. She's Vietnamese. And we say, you must come to church with us. We must come and celebrate Christmas and she comes into our home and Julie was teaching us some English and letting her practice some English. But whenever I cut here's lawn, you get a knock on the door within 24 hours and she's got a, 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 a curry or some fried noodles or something for us. And so she is serving us as we serve her. What a blessing to be in a relationship like that. I want to just wrap up in the last five minutes to give you very quickly six core principles about generosity. It's just a heads, I could probably speak, preach a sermon on each one of these, but I just want to give us a bit of an overview. So where are we going? We need to burst out of our bubble. We need to recognise that God has given us a set of instructions. A lot of those instructions relate to helping the poor and the needy and the oppressed and those that can't help themselves. We have the means and the capacity and the opportunity. And these are six core principles about why we should be generous. First of all, giving is a heart issue. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew six twenty one. So, So generosity is a matter of the heart. The things that we focus on, the things we spend our money on, the things that we hold as dear and important, that's probably where our heart is. If our heart's to help others and to give and to be generous, to me it's an indication of, of where our heart goes and what we want to do. Number two. God is a generous God. We serve an incredibly generous God. Do you know how we know God is generous? Because of John 3.16. We often miss this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave, full stop. Think about that. God was generous because he gave us, he gave mankind the most precious gift that he had. It wasn't wealth or money or riches or the ability to create. He gave his son. God is a generous God and we serve a generous God. That's a reason that we also need to be generous. Number three, God owns it all. You've often heard it said that you've never seen a a trailer being towed behind a hearse as they go off to the graveyard to bury the body. That's because taking your goods with you is actually a waste of time. The pharaohs tried to do that and they're finding um, tombs opening up in the pyramids full of gold and statues and money for the next life. All just been sitting there for three, four thousand years. Hasn't helped them. God owns it all and we are merely stewards of the assets and the the, um, the, the money that, that we have. Also our skill. And generosity, by the way, is not just about money. It's about skill, time, talent, all those things. When I was in uh, the, the Congo and Goma, I preached at the Heal Africa Hospital. Uh, they had a little, have a little, little devotion twice a week before the hospital starts. 300 people come to chapel twice a week. The band was a six piece brass, or six piece brass, Drums, I couldn't hear myself think after about five minutes. Um, worship, this is at 7.30 in the morning before they go and serve in the hospital. Uh, and I talk to them about generosity. And I talk to them about all the things. Uh, that Generosity, generous with our time, with our talent, with our skill. Uh, generous with the relationships that we have. Oh, and by the way, yes, generosity with our money as well. I'm going to flip it around in the first world and say we need to think about our money because where our money goes... That's where our heart is. God owns it all because in Psalm 24 we're reminded that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I do deal with some seriously wealthy people. They are my friends. I deal with some of the poorest people on the planet who have nothing and they are my friends. And my passion and my heart is to help, as I said earlier, to join these hands together and help one to help the other. The poor can't do anything without some, often some help, financial advice from, from, uh, from those that have it. The rich are actually in a real problem as well because they can't, they have as much money as you like, but they can't make something happen on the other side of the world. And we just happen to be the people that sit in the middle and can connect them. I was having a lunch at a, um, a fund manager lunch with uh, a very wealthy lady. And she asked me what I was doing. I knew her, actually. I found out that I knew her through another church. And uh, and she said, uh, what do you do these days, Richard? And I told her what I did. She said, I have a real problem with that. I said, why is that? She said, well, you know, we live at Portsea, on a holiday house on the cliff. And she said, I belong, belong to the Portsea Golf Club. And all my friends, you know, belong to the Portsea Golf Club. And we lunch and we have drinks and stuff with them, you know, regularly. And she said, and you help the poor? And she said, I have a problem with that. I said, why is that? She said, I don't know any poor people. And I thought, wow. I said, actually, I know thousands of them. I'd love to introduce you to some of them. <laughs> God owns it all. Everything that we have, a vehicle, a caravan, a little house, you know, a little bit of savings or some superannuation, Uh It's all God's. We hold it very, very lightly. And we say, God, how do you want us to use this for the kingdom? We just recently redid our will. And we said, you know what? We're going to help our boys a little bit and the rest is going to to grow the kingdom. Not the animal home. Not the lost dog's home. um, Not save the whales. We're going to actually help save the humans. I think that's probably a high priority for me. But God owns it all. Number four, we are to seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. So when our priority is right and we're looking to seek God's kingdom first, God will provide for what we need. Because I've been 30, Julie and I have been probably 40 years in ministry. Um, The experts will tell us as they look at my superannuation fund, oh, you haven't done very well, have you? (laughs) They go, you know what? Um, the government doesn't provide for me. God provides for me. And trust doesn't provide for me. God is my provider. God knows what we need. And God will provide for us in his time and in his way. And I really don't care. And it won't stop us being generous. Because we don't want to accumulate for ourselves. We want to be generous with what God has given us today. And we'll trust God for tomorrow. So the uh, the, the sixth one uh, is... Oh, sorry. Number five. Heaven, not earth, is my home. A principle of generosity is recognizing that heaven is our home, not earth. And if we hang on to everything here, where, was, where were we recently? Someone had a garage full of stuff. They'd hoarded all this stuff. I looked in his c- car, in his garage. He had an E-type jag in the bottom and he had a, on a, a lifter a, a beautiful Austin Healey Sprite sports car. And he said, Richard, you know, Jesus is coming back soon. I said, well, you better sell those two cars and you better put the money into the kingdom because you won't be able to do it after you've gone. He went, oh, I hadn't thought of it like that. $300,000 wrapped up in two cars. Now, I'm not judging him on that, but I'm saying let's look at the assets and let's see how we can use them for the kingdom today. Heaven, and if you understand that heaven is our home, not earth, it changes the way we view the things that God has entrusted to us. Number six, and this is the most important in many ways, that giving brings joy. Giving gives us joy. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I find it really hard to receive. I do. Far rather give. But we know that when we're helping people that can't help themselves, it brings God joy, but it brings us joy. Let's burst burst out of our bubbles by giving more thought and attention to those outside of our own little world. We're all stewards of God-given resources and we're all asked, we'll, we'll, we'll all be asked to give an account of what we did with the assets that we held. I had a lunch with one guy a few years ago now, I said, how much do you think is enough? He thought about it and goes, when I got to 200 million, he said, I decided that was probably enough. He said, I don't need a Lamborghini and I don't probably need a private jet. It'd be nice, but I don't need one. And I said, So what are you gonna do with the excess? He goes, That's a really good question. <laughs> Proverbs fourteen thirty one, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honours God. Do we want to honour God? I do. Do we want to be generous? I do. Do we want to obey what God's word says? I do. Let's expand our bubble. Don't just listen to what God's word says, but to act, be kind to the needy, honour God, and together, individually and corporately, we will experience fresh joy in God's blessing in our lives. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your love, for the way you have blessed us materially, for the way that you have enabled us to live in this nation. And Lord, your word says to whom much is given, much is required. Father, I pray that you might take these thoughts I've shared this morning, help us to individually think through what it is that we can do to grow your kingdom, to share the good news, and to recognise that heaven is our real home. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.